from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odeschalette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Susan Engel on January 21, 2020. Susan is a singer, songwriter, and author who has now written two books for the Baha'i Changemaker series. The Changemaker series is a series of biographies targeted toward middle schoolers. Her first one is Robert Abbott, who founded the Chicago Defender newspaper. Her most recent, to be published February 8th of the same year, is John Burke's Dizzy Gillespie, A Man, a Trumpet, and a Journey to Bebop. We talk about Dizzy Gillespie's life, and I feature recordings of Dizzy Gillespie in the program. I started the interview by asking Susan what inspired her to write a biography of Dizzy Gillespie. Well, there's a new series out from Bellwood Press, which is an arm of the Baha'i Publishing Trust about people who made big changes, cultural differences in the United States and who also happened to be Baha'is. And so when I started making a list of people, um, I started with Robert Abbott, who was the publisher, founder of the Chicago Defender. But Dizzy was next on my list, mainly because he was so well-known in this country, though he's not someone whose name wouldn't spark some recognition. I notice that several generations down the pike here, people don't know who Dizzy Gillespie is. And, of course, he made a huge effect on jazz music and with the coming of bebop and uh, also had a remarkable way of dealing with people. His personality was just larger than life. So he was next on the list. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, Dizzy Gillespie's life growing up. Well, he grew up in the South, in the Deep South, and he had a large family. His father uh, worked laying bricks during the week and played gigs on the weekend. He was a musician that had kept a lot of the band instruments in his house. So they had a piano and a guitar and a Oh, clarinet and some other instruments. So from the time Dizzy was very little, he had a lot of instruments to touch and make sounds with. He really enjoyed doing that. When he was four years old, he was standing up and could hardly reach the keys on the piano, but he was playing melodies and would go uh, next door to a neighbor's house and play the same melody for her and then run back home and play it on his own piano and then run to the neighbor. <laughs> he was very active. And part of the charm for the of the neighbor was that she always had ice cream available for him. So not only did he love to do that, but she she saw his, how bright he was and started to teach him his numbers and letters. So before he went to school, he knew the alphabet. He knew about counting and therefore was not real excited about school. He already knew everything. <laughs> <laughs> he got into a, 
a band. They actually had a band by the time he was in about fourth grade, I think. And um, by the time the instruments were all passed out to the other children, he ended up with a trombone. And unfortunately, his arms weren't very long, so he had a real tough time getting the right sounds out of it. But he was determined, and he said that he would practice at home, and everybody in the neighborhood knew he was learning how to play trombone <laughs> because it was so loud. But luckily, a, a neighbor also got a trumpet for Christmas one year, so he hung out with his neighbor quite a bit and and would keep the horn warm, he said, while his friend took a break now and then. Mm. And so in Chiraw, South Carolina, where he lived, he was the only person in the town who could play both the trombone and the trumpet from a young age. And so as he got older, he was involved in other bands or? Well, actually, his school started a band. His music teacher started a small band and they would play for plays. And then since the teacher only played in the key of B flat, that's the only key she knew, they replaced her eventually, these kids who were playing together and then they would go out into the local community and play for the Elks Club or the dances at the high school or, you know, places in the area would hire them to come and play. Uh, and then by the time he got into what would be kind of like middle school, he went to a school where the he was the best musician, the one who could actually read music and help teach other kids to do that but he would come home on weekends and play with his old buddies around the area for many years until he left school for Philadelphia so he grew up in the south and yeah. what drew him to Philadelphia well actually when he was about eight years old he went on a train ride he his father sent his brothers and his mother and him on a train ride to Philadelphia to visit relatives so he got a taste of what being black up north was like, a little different from being black in the south. The Jim Crow wasn't quite as as nasty where he went. In fact, he was taken to a picnic. The fellow serving ice cream was white, and he served everyone with equal joy and happiness. And, you know, Dizzy went back for about 12 servings. And, <laughs> <laughs> and the kids who were playing at this picnic we're all different colors playing together laughing and smiling and he just thought well this is not what i'm used to i like philadelphia mm. <laughs> so actually when his his family left for philadelphia uh when he was in, in that middle school or maybe it was high school they called it preparatory school they actually moved to philadelphia so he left school to go to philadelphia first and trying to get into the music business there. And his brother-in-law, his sister's husband, actually bought him his first trumpet of his own from a pawn shop, and he carried it around in a paper bag and would go to auditions. And that's partly where his nickname, Dizzy, came from, that Dizzy, that Dizzy kid from the South. Someone called him, and, and after a while, it stuck. Because hmm. nobody else carried their trumpet in a paper bag. But Dizzy. <laughs> yeah. So he started there. Mm -hmm. And then uh, after a couple of years, he moved to New York City because as far as he was concerned, there wasn't quite enough happening 
in Philadelphia. Do you know how he got his characteristic trumpet with the bell pointing upwards? Actually, it wasn't right away, and I can't remember the year, but somebody sat on his trumpet, and normally he would have exploded. <laughs> but he was curious. He looked at it, he picked it up, he started to play, and he liked the way the horn was a little, the bell was a little closer to his ear. I don't know. He just, there wasn't much delay, obviously, but he really enjoyed that sound. And that became, he had every trumpet made like that afterward. Dizzy was a Baha'i. Maybe you could tell us the story of how he ran into the Baha'i faith and became a Baha'i. Sure. After Martin Luther King was killed, he really went into a deep despair. Of course, living black in America was hard his whole life. It wasn't just that event that was difficult for him. But he was in Milwaukee, and a Baha'i got in touch with him and, and wanted to talk to him. And she happened to be a woman, and so he, he declined. He thought, you know, he didn't want to meet a single woman all by herself. <laughs> well, it turned out she and her husband went to his concert there in Milwaukee. They all sat together and talked after Dizzy played, and he could see they were genuinely interested in him and and Charlie Parker, who was his, his music partner, you know, off and on over the years. And so he became friends with them, and they started telling him about the faith because they were both Baha'is. He really loved what he was hearing, especially the part about progressive revelation where God continues to send messengers to, to mankind to help them mature, you know, while they mature and the society changes gives them new rules to help them deal with the world, although this, the same spiritual rules apply, the Ten Commandments and ideas like that. But this society needs updating now and then on what is healthy at that time and best for their development. And he really translated that as, into his musical life as well because he realized that Musicians also build on one another. They, the first people who played music, you know, were heard by others, and they developed it. and And he um, really gave kudos to the trumpeters who came before him, who helped him understand the, the instrument and and allowed him to uh, to try new things and to bring new music into the world. So the whole idea of progressive revelation was something he really loved. I think that was part of the attraction. But then he read Thief in the Night by William Sears, and that really cemented the idea for him that this is a day, new day of God, that a new prophet has come, and he fulfills prophecies from the Bible and the Old Testament, and he got pretty excited about it. And so Beth McKenty took him on a trip to L.A., and he met William Sears. He already had his declaration card sign in those days people signed a little piece of like cardboard that said that i believe in baha'u'llah and i accept him as the manifestation of god and he did it right there on the book actually <laughs> <laughs> which must have been very sweet for mr sears <laughs> yeah was dizzy brought up in a religious household well yeah he his mm -hmm. family went to church every week 
and that's where he first fell in love with music in a big way. You know, he had different options. His family went to one church where there was an organ and people all sang together, and that was fine. I mean, he liked that music, but there was also a another church down the street, and it had uh, lots going on. <laughs> there were uh, several people playing different rhythm instruments and guitars and the people would stamp and holler, which added even more rhythm to the music. He and his friends would just stand outside and listen to that music coming out of that building. That was part of his initial education in a rhythm, for sure, which was his big love throughout his life. The rhythm came first, and then then the melodies came later. Susan, do you have a excerpt that you'd like to read from your Oh, sure. I do. There's a lot of stories in his life, but one I really like best is, here we go. It's about the end of his life. In February of 1992, Dizzy began to show signs of a major illness, but he was reluctant to find out what was wrong. His decades-long drive to perform was too strong for him to take time to recover from being sick. When his friends could finally get him to a hospital, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Though most of the cancer was removed through surgery, the doctors couldn't get it all, so he was given other treatments that extended his life for a few more months. He appeared for a tribute concert given for him that August at the Hollywood Bowl. Though he couldn't play, he assured the audience that he would return to the trumpet soon. However, by November, he made his last public appearance. On January 6, 1993, Dizzy Gillespie died in his sleep while a collection of his music, Dizzy's Diamonds, played softly in the background. Dizzy's journey had started with a train ride to Philadelphia at age 8 and had taken him to a career spreading the gospel of bebop. His musical genius and humor brought him fame and the love of many musicians and fans. This fame didn't make him pull away from others as it grew. And his friend, Marion Fraser, wrote, John's the only celebrity I know who has never changed. I don't think he realizes that he is a celebrity. And the greatness that he carries, that's what I admire about him most. Six days after his death, a memorial service was held in St. John's Cathedral, a spectacular building longer than a football field in New York City. 6,000 people came to honor him and music rang throughout the huge space. In the tradition of jazz funerals in New Orleans, which had their origins in West Africa, Wynton Marsalis and his musicians started with a slow-moving, sad dirge. But by the end of the three-hour celebration of his life, 25 musicians had touched the hearts of the crowd with a joyful musical tribute to disease. John Burks Gillespie, trumpet virtuoso and an improviser who was called King of the Trumpet by his fellow bebop musicians and a jazz ambassador for the ages for his service to the U.S. State Department was celebrated with some of the best, most moving music available, his own. Very nice. Very nice, Susan. So I'm speaking with Susan Engel, singer author, musical composer, and her latest book is called John Burke's Dizzy Gillespie, 
a man, a trumpet, and a journey to bebop. Susan, where can folks find your book? Well, it's available from the Baha'i Publishing Trust. It's also available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It isn't actually published yet, so you have to uh. wait a few days. But the book will be available after February eighth, when the book launch happens in Wilmette, Illinois. So it'll be available after then. Well, Susan, thank you so much for sharing uh, the story of John Burke's Dizzy Gillespie, a man, a trumpet, and a journey to bebop. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Warren. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Susan Engel, singer, songwriter, and author. Her latest book for middle schoolers is called John Burke's Dizzy Gillespie, a man, a trumpet, and a journey to bebop. I would like to now play a short recording of an interview with Dizzy Gillespie in which he explains what attracted him to the Baha'i faith. Dizzy, this isn't your first visit to Finland. Not by a long shot. <laughs> what brings you this time? Well, I'm here for an international conference of the Baha'is. Could you tell me who the Baha'is are? The Baha'is is an independent uh, world religious faith originated in Persia in 1844 and spread to all of the countries of the world now with international headquarters in Haifa. How long have you been a Baha'i? It's going on 10 years. And you were converted from some other faith? Well, I was sort of a Christian. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> uh, not too good. I, I wasn't too good a Christian. But this, this is what I'd been looking for all the time. Why? What's so good about the Baha'i faith for you? Uh, the uh, philosophy of unity, the uni unification of mankind. Uh, with the establishment of a world government to protect the weak. So, so it, 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 is, it is the most intelligent religion, I think, because, and then uh, Baha'u'llah says uh, about science, he said, we are right along with science. He says, uh, it's like the wings of, two, of a giant bird. Science is on this side and religion is on this side. And if you develop one, faster than you do the other one, it will go lopsided. So therefore, it is necessary to develop your religion at, at, on the same level that you develop science. The second recording I would like to play is of a series of clips in which Russ Garcia talks about his friendship with Dizzy Gillespie. Russ Garcia was a well-known composer and arranger who wrote a wide variety of music for screen, stage, and broadcast who passed away in 2011 at the age of 95. The clip begins with a sample of Dizzy Gillespie's virtuosity on the trumpet. friends. I was the A&R man for a while at Verve Records and we had Dizzy under contract and so I had to 
plan recording sessions for him and such. Very bright, very serious, but he could also be a real clown is how he got his nickname Dizzy. You know, I, I knew him so well I could tell a lot of stories that weren't in his books and that nobody had heard before. Stage with Dizzy and Munich at a jazz festival. And George Shearing, blind pianist, was across the room and he said, Are you people talking about Baha'i? Let me in on this, you know. And he got quite interested and so we got him books in Braille. He's been blind since birth. He walked over to George Shearing and put his arm around George. He said, George, probably nobody's ever told you, but you're black. The next recording I'd like to play is a 36-minute recording of the Dizzy Gillespie Quintet in 1966 on the program Jazz 625, which has an introduction by Nene Cherry. Hello, good evening. In this Jazz 625 series, we've introduced many of the greatest names in contemporary jazz, but up to this very moment, there's been one glaring omission, and that's the man whose name is always linked with that of the late Charlie Parker as one of the prime architects of modern jazz. Twenty years ago, Dizzy Gillespie was a jazz revolutionary whose phenomenal technique burst the accepted bounds of trumpet playing and influenced a whole generation of jazz men, as Louis Armstrong had done twenty years before. Well, today, Dizzy is accepted as a giant among jazz giants. He regularly undertakes uh, worldwide tours, goodwill tours, under the sponsorship of the U.S. State Department, and tonight, He's our man on Jazz 625, Dizzy Gillespie. I'm 
eternally grateful for your boundless enthusiasm. <laughs> Our first tune now is an original composition of mine titled, And Then She Stopped. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
We thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Another one of my original composition in collaboration with the late, great Congo drummer, Chano Pozo. And this one is titled Tintendeo.
ladies and gentlemen. Now before we go any further, we'd like to take this opportunity to introduce the musicians in the quintet. Now that we have met, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, about saying hello to one of the great young percussionists on drums, Mr. Rudy Collins. <laughs> on bass, a young man who's in the true tradition of the other great North Americans of West Indian stock. On <laughs> <laughs> bass, <laughs> Mr. Christopher White. <laughs> we expect to hear m much more more and more and more for our brilliant young pianist. He's a native of the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania's pride and joy, Mr. Kenny Barron. <laughs> On alto Saxon flute, I'm sure you would recognize this name as I introduce Mr. James Moody. <laughs> we 
We're going to turn the spotlight now on the inimitable James Moody, our magnificent flautist. He's going to flout all over the place. <laughs> Monsieur Moody will give you his royal version because he is truly a prince. <laughs> Sis. James Moody now with one of his own original compositions and unique arrangements on a tune titled
Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. And now from our, one of our late ladies, Phillips albums, Dizzy on the French Riviera. <laughs> Recorded live <laughs> in Juan Le Pin. <laughs> Shake it south, daddy, or no more blue.
I don't know if you heard it, but Dizzy was shouting, is that time now in the middle of that last number? And I'm afraid it very nearly is. Uh, I've just jumped in to say that it's been the Dizzy Gillespie Quintet on Jazz 625. From me now, goodbye. And to say goodbye on behalf of himself and the quintet, back to Dizzy. I hope you enjoyed the program today. You can find this program and links to Susan Engel's biography on Dizzy Gillespie for middle schoolers on the website abahaiperspective.com and on the YouTube channel A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org or you can call the number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.